أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وبعد. So for tonight's majlis, uh, I wanted to actually continue reading from the Kashf al-Mahjub. Um, the intention for the majlis is that it should be not so much of a dars but a light uh, uh, discussion that has a type of spirituality and is imbibed with the nur of Ramadan and the Salat al-Taraweeh and provides some type of, I guess, a break from the focus of dhikr and, and Salat uh, for those who need it. Definitely, if you don't, please continue your dhikr and your salat and your uh, tasbihat and your du'as and make me make du'a for me as well. So the point of it was not necessarily just to read from a book, but I, I received a lot of, uh, uh, I think, positive feedback from the book because the content of it kind of reflects a type of seriousness from a different age, a seriousness about Islam and a spirit, seriousness about spirituality um, and a seriousness about deen that that uh, a number of people shared with me that they found refreshing so i thought maybe you know we could read a little bit more from it and maybe uh later in the in the month inshallah talk about other things as well so uh one of the 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 most beautiful chapters and i think it's a chapter that's very poignant for the people the age and the time and the place that we live in um, because this seems to be um the most materialistic age uh, perhaps known to man, and we live uh, in the markas of materialism. Uh, for those of us who are living in America, um, a place where the dunya, which has been spent and tired out in the old world, seems to be fresh and anew, uh, although with waning levels of enthusiasm due to the increasing amount of indignance of the people of that of that wealth, uh, as well as the uh, increasing, uh, increasingly cynical nature of the age. Um, which is making the new world just as tired as the old. Uh, so I wanted to, you know, in light of that, uh, read about poverty. Uh, and, and the chapter regarding poverty is something that is a complete, like, a face to, or a, and a complete, I should say, affront to the, the kind of Protestant uh, mindset that dominates, that dominates a, a modern discourse. And especially dominates the culture of America. The idea that somehow prosperity and wealth are some things that go hand in hand. Definitely, uh, nobody can live without eating, and nobody can live. You know, nobody will be uh, protected from the elements without a house, and nobody will get from point A to point B without any means of uh, conveyance uh, uh, or transportation, uh, even if those be their own legs. But uh, at the same time, there is a, a type of spiritual. Uh, quality that wealth takes and not everything spiritual is good shaitan is a very spiritual being but the spirituality is one of complete evil so the idea that poverty is a virtue uh it's something completely alien to the protestant um to the protestant work ethic and to the the protestant mindset not to say that all protestants believe the same thing but the dominant protestant uh, uh mindset which has an effect even on secular uh, people in America and what's quote-unquote called the West. I don't like calling it the West because Mauritania is further West than, uh, you know, than, than France and Germany. But khair, the, 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 you know, what most people refer to as the West. And poverty has to do with patience. And patience is what Ramadan is all about. It is the theme of Ramadan. So uh, with that, I wanted to just read some insights from uh, Sheikh Sayyid Ali Hajwari Data Ganj Bakhsh, 
uh, inshallah. And again, like I said from before, this is one of the first books written properly on the topic of Sufism. It's written in the same era as the Risala Kushariya. And uh, 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 it is because it's written in the Persian language, it has its own kind of quality that the Tasawwuf of, 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 of the Persianate uh, eastern lands of the, the, the Muslim empire have. And uh, there's a type of freshness in it as well. Uh, and even though it, it is it is written in Persian, it is a, a very accurate reflection of a, a certain school of interpretation of the Quran and Sunnah. And you'll see, like you saw from yesterday, that it's it's very uh, deeply rooted in the nusus and the text of the the the, the Deen of Islam as well as the aqaid or the the the, the creed of the Muslims. So data sab qaddasallahu sirrahu. He starts. Uh, on poverty, know that poverty has a high rank in the way of truth and the tariqah of the haq, uh, and that the poor are greatly esteemed. For Allah Ta'ala said, Give alms unto the poor who are kept fighting in God's cause and cannot go to and fro on in the earth, whom the ignorant deem rich for as much as they refrain from begging. And again he says, Most High, their sides are lifted from their beds while they call on their Lord in fear and in hope. Moreover, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam chose poverty and said, O oh Allah, make me live like a lowly one, meaning a miskeen. Make me live as a lowly one, as an indigent uh, uh, and poor person. And make me die like uh, a miskeen and raise me up amongst the masakeen. And he said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, on the day of judgment, God will say, Bring you, my loved ones, nigh unto me. And the angels will say, who are your loved ones? And God will answer them saying, the poor and the destitute. There are many verses of the Quran and the Hadith to the same effect, which on account of their celebrity need not mention, need not be mentioned here. Amongst the refugees, the Muhajirun, in the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's time, were poor men, fuqara, who sat in his mosque and devoted themselves to the worship of Allah and firmly believed that Allah would give them their daily bread and they put their trust or their tawakkul in him. The Prophet ﷺ was enjoined to consort with them and take due care of them. For Allah Ta'ala says, Do not repulse those who call on their Lord in the morning and in the evening desiring His favor. Don't, don't turn them, don't turn them away. وَاصْبِرْ نَفْسَكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ رَبَّهُمْ بِالْغَدَاتِ وَالْعَشِي يُرِيدُونَ وَجْهَهُ وَلَا تَعْدُ عَيْنَاكَ عَنْهُمْ تُرِيدُ زِينَةَ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا And don't turn your, your, avert your gaze from them. Don't ignore the poor people because of a, a desire for the life of this material world. Hence, whenever the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saw one of them, he used to say, May my father and mother be your sacrifice, since it was for your sakes that God reproached me. Allah therefore has exalted poverty and has made it a special distinction of the poor who have renounced all things external and internal and have turned entirely to the Creator whose poverty has become their pride so that they lamented its going and rejoiced at its coming and embraced it and deemed it uh, deemed all other than it contemptible. So he's going to talk about poverty and he's going to differentiate between just the, the, the state of being broke, which in itself doesn't have any sort of virtue to it. Um, and he's going to uh, uh, differentiate that between the spiritual maqam of poverty and describe what, they, uh, what, what the differences are. Now poverty has a form, a rasam, and an essence, a haqiqah. Its form is destitution and indigence, but its essence, its essence is fortune and free choice. He who regards the form rests in the form, and failing to attain his object flees from the essence. 
But he who has found the essence averts his gaze from all created things, and in complete annihilation, seeing only the uh, the, the the seeing only the one, uh, and the only he hastens toward the fullness of eternal life. Bafanaye kul and the kul ba bakaye kul shitaft. So he says what he says. He who regards the form rests in the form and failing from failing to attain his object flees from the essence meaning the person who has the outward poverty and only thinks about the outward f- poverty when he is too poor to be able to get what he wants he flees from he flees from both the outward poverty and the inward po- poverty the inward poverty being a good state however he who has found the essence averts his gaze from all created things and in complete annihilation seeing only the uh, the one jalla wa'ala he hastens toward the fullness of eternal life yani bafanaye kul andar ru'yati kul babaqaye kul shitaft the poor man faqir has nothing and can suffer no loss he does not become rich by having anything nor indigent by having nothing both these conditions are alike to him in respect to his poverty it is permitted that he should be more joyful when he has nothing. For the sheikhs have said, the more straightened one is in circumstances, the more expansive, cheerful and happy is one's spiritual state. Because it is unlucky for a darvesh to have poverty. If he imprisons anything, darband kunad, for his own use, he himself is imprisoned in the same proportion. The friends of Allah live by means of his secret bounties. Worldly wealth holds them back from the path of quietism or rida, that they should be pleased with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that Allah ta'ala should be pleased with them. Shaykh mentions a story. A dervish met a king. The king said, Ask a fortune from me. The dervish replied, I will not ask a fortune from one of my slaves. How is that? The king said. The dervish said, I have two slaves who are your masters, covetousness and expectation. Meaning the person who is pleased with their poverty and is unhinged from, from, uh, uh, from this world, neither wants or expects anything. He says that that want, that covetousness, the need to have something and the expectation to get something from your deeds, these two things, these are the masters of the people of the dunya. So the dervish, when the king said, ask me something, ask me a treasure so I can give it to you out of respect for, uh, the perfection of that dervish's state, the dervish said, how am I going to ask you for anything? You are the slave of the two things that are my slave. The two things being covetousness and desire. I neither covet nothing, uh, nor do I, nor do I have any expectation for anything. And those things, two things have become your masters, uh, as you're the king. So how can I ask anything from you when you're the slave of my two slaves? The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, poverty is glorious to those who are worthy of it. Glory consists in this, that the poor man's body is divinely preserved from base and sinful acts and his heart from evil and contaminating thoughts. Because his outward parts are absorbed in the contemplation of the manifest blessings of Allah, while his inward parts are protected by the invisible grace so that his body is spiritual and ruhani in nature and his heart is divine, rabbani in nature. Then no relation subsists between him and mankind. This world and the next weigh less than a gnat's wing in the scales of his poverty. He's not contained in the two worlds for a single moment. 
this idea is what? Is that a person, their poverty is in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala such that they're unhinged from expectation on either side. The person who is that tied to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the reward with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very high. Section. The shaykhs of the tariqah differ in opinion as to whether poverty or wealth is superior, both being regarded as human attributes. For true wealth or ghina belongs to Allah ta'ala who is perfect in all his attributes. Yahya bin Mu'adh al-Razi, Ahmad bin Abil Hawari, and Harith al-Muhasibi, Abu al-Abbas bin Ata al-Ruwaym, and Abu al-Hasan al-Sim'un are amongst the moderns. And Grand Sheikh Abu Sa'id Fadlullah bin Muhammad al-Mayhani all hold the view that wealth is superior to poverty. They argue that wealth is an attribute of Allah, whereas poverty cannot be ascribed to Him. Therefore, an attribute common to God and man is superior to one that is not applicable to, to God. I answer, this community of designation is merely nominal and has no existence in reality. When it says community, meaning the, 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 the similarity between the wealth of a human being and the wealth of, of Allah. Real community involves mutual resemblance, but the divine attributes are eternal and the human attributes are created, hence your proof is false. I, Ali bin Uthman al-Jullabi, declare that wealth is a term that may be fitly applied to God, but one which man has no right to. While poverty is a term that may be properly applied to man, but not to God. Metaphorically, a man is called rich, but he is not really so. Meaning what is dependent on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's not truly rich in and of himself. Metaphorically, a man is called rich, but he is not really so. Again, to give a clearer proof, human wealth is an effect due to various causes, whereas the wealth of God, who himself is the author of all causes, is not due to any God and not due to any cause. Therefore, there is no community in regard to this attribute. It is not allowable to associate anything with God, either in essence, attribute, or name. The wealth of God consists in his independence of anyone else and his power to do whatever he wills, such that he always has been and such that he shall forever be. Man's wealth, on the other hand, is, for example, a means of livelihood or the presence of joy or the being saved from sin or the solace of contemplation, which are all, uh, which things are all uh, a phenomenal nature and subject to change. Furthermore, some of the vulgar prefer the rich man to the poor on the grounds that God has made the former blessed in both worlds and has bestowed the benefit of riches on him. This is very important because we have this kind of magical uh, myth that we look up to that, you know, we would like to have uh, everything. We'd like to be the handsome, wonderful doctor who goes on vacation every, you know, like uh, six months and um, at the same time as a hafiz of Quran and a alim and uh, you know, uh, um, super pious and whatnot. And undoubtedly such people do exist. Um, however, the thing that we should be seeking is the piety. The other thing is something that happens by the wayside. If a man is pious, um, as a blessing, the wealth is insignificant in front of his piety to the point where you cannot compare the, the pious man who is wealthy and the pious man who is poor because both of them, their piety completely eclipses whether um, they're rich or poor or not. It as a blessing eclipses that. So he, he talks about that a little bit here. He says, furthermore, some of the vulgar prefer the rich man. And one might say, well, how come you got to hate on that anyway, you know? And the reason I'm hating on it is what? 
is that, um, you know, we oftentimes try to balance two things that are not equal in worth. Uh, wealth is nowhere near a, a blessing uh, from Allah Ta'ala as piety is. And so sometimes in trying to equate the two of them, people will give up a little bit of piety for a little bit of wealth, and those people neither know what the true high value of piety is or what the true pittance uh, material wealth is, and they end up, uh, uh, you know, confusing their own path, uh, their own spiritual path on the way to God, their own saluk as salikin. Furthermore, some of the vulgar prefer the rich man to the poor on the grounds that God has made the former blessed in both worlds and has bestowed the benefit of riches on him. Here they mean by quote-unquote wealth, abundance of worldly goods and enjoyment of pleasures and pursuit of lusts. They argue that God has commanded us to be thankful for wealth and patient in poverty, i.e. patient in adversity and thankful in prosperity, and that prosperity is essentially better than adversity. To this I reply that when God commanded us to be thankful for prosperity, he made thankfulness the means of increasing our prosperity. But when he commanded us to be patient in adversity, he made patience the means of drawing nigh unto himself, and he said, Verily, if you return thanks, I will give you an increase." And he also said, God is with the patient. Meaning what? He said that if the, 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 the reward for, uh, uh, for, for shukr, for thankfulness is what? That you get a little bit more blessing. But the reward of sabr is what? That Allah is with you. In Allaha ma'as sabirin. Being with Allah Ta'ala is a, a, a much greater blessing than a, 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 a small increase in uh, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you. And this is the point that he's trying to make. Um, and this is, this is, this is a point that, that a lot of people, I guess they, they kind of miss out on. The sheikhs who prefer wealth to poverty do not use the term quote unquote wealth in its popular sense. What they intend is not the acquisition of a benefit, but the acquisition of the benefactor. So he says, even those sheikhs who talk about the path of shukr of thankfulness, they're not talking about this being a path of like having a lot of stuff. They're not talking about wealth as the acquisition of a benefit, rather wealth as the acquisition of the benefactor with the capital B, meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who gives the benefit. To gain union with God is a different thing from gaining forgetfulness of God. The Sheikh Abu Sa'id, may Allah have mercy on him, said, Poverty is wealth in Allah. Al-Faqru hu al-Ghina billah. Poverty is wealth in God. That your poverty in front of Allah Ta'ala is a wealth in Him. I.e. everlasting revelation of the truth. I answer to this that revelation, mukashafa, uh, implies the possibility of a hijab, a veil. Therefore, if the person who enjoys revelation is veiled from revelation by the attribute of wealth, he neither becomes in need of revelation nor uh, uh, he does not. If he does not, the conclusion is absurd. And if he does, need is un- incompatible with wealth. Therefore, the term cannot stand. Beside, no one has wealth in God until his attributes are permanent and his object is invariable. Wealth cannot coincide with subsistence of an object or uh, with the affirmation of the attributes of human nature inasmuch as the essential characteristics of mortality and phenomenal being are need and indigence. He's saying that your own, your own essential characteristics are those of what? Need and indigence there of poverty. One whose attributes still survive is not rich, and one whose attributes are annihilated is not entitled to any name whatsoever. Meaning, if you're still you, you're poor. 
And if you've given up and annihilated all of your attributes, then how can you claim that you're rich? Therefore, the rich man is he who's enriched by God. Al-Ghani man agnahullah. Because the term rich in God refers to the agent, the fa'il, whereas the term enriched by God denotes the person acted upon, i.e. the maf'ul, the, 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 uh, the passive. The former is self-subsistent, but the latter subsists through the agent. Accordingly, self-subsistence is an attribute of human nature, while subsistence through God involves the annihilation of attributes. I then, uh, Ali bin Uthman al-Jullabi, assert that true wealth is incompatible with the survival or baqa of any attribute whatsoever, since human attributes have already been shown to be defective and subject to decay. Nor again does wealth consist in the annihilation of these attributes, because a name cannot be given to an attribute which no longer exists. And he whose attributes are annihilated cannot be called either quote-unquote poor or rich. Therefore, the attribute of wealth is not transferable from God to man, and the attribute of poverty is not transferable from man to God. Now, this is all somewhat heavy material. If you wish to, you can listen to the, the text uh, again another time. Uh, but essentially, he's he, you know, what he's trying to say is that, look, Allah is Allah and you're you. He's the one who gives and we're the one who receives. He's the one who's independent of any need, but he loves to give and we're the ones who have complete need and we love to receive. So the more perfect relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the slave has is to be constantly beholden, beholden of their need to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this idea that we have in the dunya that if I only work this much and I only do this much, I will uh, be able to amass enough money that like, all my needs will be taken care of and I can live life on autopilot and then I can go and whatever, memorize the Quran and be a good Muslim and pray and go to madrasa and do zikr and like, you know, teach my children to become good people. This is, this is running away from your nature and running away from Allah's nature because you're constantly in need of Him and you're being beholden to that need constantly as a spiritual virtue. Of course, this doesn't mean that everyone in the ummah should like go and like, uh, free themselves from from any sort of material uh, needs. Obviously, it's a farther for a person to fulfill the, their their basic needs and the needs of their dependents. But the and, and communally, there are certain things like masjids getting built and madaris getting built and things like that that need to happen. And this was one of the, the, the I guess the enjoyments of the age in which the author lived is that it was the sacrifices of the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum, the mal of ghanima, the sacrifices of the tabi'in, the taba tabi'in, that the institutions of deen were 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 very solidly and firmly rooted in in uh, uh in the muslim lands at that time so that they didn't need to think about all of those things whereas we kind of have to think about them especially for those of us who live as minorities here but the idea is that that a person shouldn't try to run away from their from their need because it's in their very need that they find their essence and they find the 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 route by which they will uh connect themselves with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and uh, uh, it's in effacing their own poverty and the wealth of Allah Ta'ala that they're going to uh, find the divine help from Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And it's interesting, you may find certain concepts in this book that are like, you know, mirror Ghazali, Rahimahullah Tabarak Wa Ta'ala, like for example, when he compares the superiority of, of patience uh, over gratitude, um, 
what's the reason for that? The reason for it is not that he's uh, read Ghazali and he's rehashing it out. Remember, this is uh, over a century, uh, if not more than that, uh, before Ghazali. In fact, it's very possible that, that th- this is a book that Imam Ghazali ta'ala, read and was influenced by. In fact, not just possible, it's undoubted, undoubted because Ghazali ta'ala, was a native Persian speaker. The other kind of quirk and idiosyncrasy, you may have noticed that there's two times in this chapter where he refers himself refers to himself by name. He says, I, Ali bin Uthman, uh, 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 um, assert this or assert that. Um, and in the beginning of the book, he asks for forgiveness for doing that from time to time in the book. He says the reason he did it is that once he wrote a book and uh, he lent the manuscript to somebody, and that person then uh, had the copyist copy the book and then claimed that he wrote it himself. So he said, this is a, a, a fail safe against people uh, plagiarizing my work. He said that that person had uh, um, claimed they wrote it themselves and then started to interpret it uh, in, a, in an improper and an incorrect way and started misguiding people with it. So he says, I need this as a fail safe. So nobody does that to me again. Um, if nothing else, funny stories like that, uh, um, they, they, they tell us that, that the Mashaikh were real people and they had to deal with like real issues and like, uh, 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 real like kind of goofball type people just like we have to nowadays. Uh, but they kept their frustration at bay and they kept doing their work and it should be an inspiration for us as well because we're not, uh, uh, you know, we're not any better than they are and the goofballs we have to deal with are not any worse than, than those ones. So the Sheikh continues. He says, all the Sufi sheikhs and most of the vulgar prefer poverty uh, to wealth for the reason that the Qur'an and Sunnah expressly declare to be superior, and herein the majority of Muslims are agreed. I find amongst the anecdotes which I have read that on one occasion this question was discussed by uh, uh, Imam Junaid and Ibn Atah. The latter maintained the superiority of the rich. He argued that at resurrection they would be called to account for their wealth, and that such an account or hisab entails the hearing of the divine word without any mediation uh, in the form of reproach. And reproach is addressed by the beloved to the lover. Junaid answered, if he will call the rich to account, he will ask the poor for their excuse. And asking an excuse is better than calling to account. This is a very subtle point. This talk, I mean, these discussions are very interesting. I, it bears repetition, but these people used to really think about Yom Qiyama. Um, they used to think about Yom Qiyama in a very intimate way, and it was something they visualized and went over again and again in their heads. I've read on one occasion this question was discussed by Imam Junaid and Ibn Ata. The latter maintained the superiority of the rich. He argued that at the resurrection they would be called to account for their wealth and that such an account or hisab entails hearing the divine word without any mediation in the form of itab or reproach, and reproach is addressed by the beloved to the lover. Junaid answered, if he will call the rich to account, he will ask the poor for their excuse, and asking an excuse is better than calling to account. This is a very subtle point. In true love, and true love excuses otherness and reproaches contrary to unity. Lovers regard both these things as a blemish because excuses made for some disobedience to a command of the beloved and reproaches made on the same score. But both are impossible in true love for then neither does the beloved require an expiation from the lover nor does the lover neglect to perform the will of the beloved. Every man is poor even though he is a prince 
Essentially, the wealth of Sulaiman alayhi salam and the poverty of Sulaiman alayhi salam are one. God said to Sayyidina Ayyub alayhi salam, in the extremity of his patience, and likewise to Sulaiman in plentitude of his dominion, good servant that you are. When God's pleasure was accomplished, it made no difference between the poverty and the wealth of Sulaiman. The author says, I have heard Abu Qasim Qushayri, may Allah have mercy on him, said, People have spoken much concerning poverty and wealth and have chosen one or the other for themselves, but I choose whichever state God chooses for me and keeps me in. If he keeps me rich, I will not be forgetful, and if he wishes me to be poor, I will not be covetous or rebellious. Therefore, both wealth and poverty are divine gifts. Wealth is corrupted by forgetfulness and poverty by covetousness. Both conceptions are excellent, but they differ in practice. Poverty is the separation of the heart from all but God, and wealth is the preoccupation of the heart with that which does not admit being qualified. When the heart is cleared of all exceptions of God, poverty is not better than wealth, nor is wealth better than poverty. Wealth is abundance of worldly goods, and poverty is lack of them. All goods belong to God. When the seeker bids farewell to poverty, the antithesis disappears, and both terms are transcended. All of the Sufi sheikhs have spoken on the subject of poverty. I will now cite many of their sayings as it is possible to be included in this book. One of the moderns says, uh, modern to his time, one of the moderns says, لَيْسَ الْفَقْرُ مَنْ خَلَى مِنَ الزَّادِ إِنَّمَا الْفَقْرُ مَنْ خَلَى مِنَ الْمُرَادِ The poor man is not whose hand is empty of provisions, but he whose nature is empty of desires. For example, if God gives him money and he desires to keep it, then he is rich. And if he desires to renounce it, he is rich no less because poverty consists in seeking to act according to one's own initiative. Yahya bin Mu'adh al-Razi says, Al-Faqru khawf al-Faqr. It is a sign of true poverty that even though one has reached the state of perfection, of sainthood and contemplation and self-annihilation, one should always be dreading its decline and its departure. Meaning what? Just like the people of the world fear uh, uh, fear not having material means, the state of poverty with Allah is fearing to lose your spiritual state with Allah Ta'ala. Ruwaym said, مِن نَعْتَ الْفَقِيرِ حِفْظُ سِرِّهِ وَسِيَانَتُهُ نَفْسِهِ وَأَدَاؤُهُ فَرِضَتِهِ It is characteristic of the poor man that his heart is protected from selfish desires and his soul is guarded from contaminations, and that he performs his obligatory duties of religion. That is to say, his inward meditations do not interfere with his outward acts, nor vice versa, which is a sign that he has cast off attributes of mortality. Bishr al-Hafi rahimullah ta'ala said, أَفْضَلَ الْمَقَامَاتِ اِعْتِقَادِ sabr عَلَى الْفَقْرِ إِلَى الْقَبْرِ The best of stations is a firm resolution to endure poverty continuously, or until a person enters their grave. Now poverty is the annihilation of all stations. Therefore, the resolution to endure poverty is a sign of regarding works and actions as imperfect and aspiring to annihilate all human attributes. But in its obvious sense, this saying pronounces poverty to be superior to wealth and expresses a determination never to abandon it. Shibli rahimahullah ta'ala said, Al-faqiru malaya stagni bi shay'in dunillah. The poor man is the one who does not rest content with anything except for Allah. Literally, the poor man is the one who does not find wealth in anything except for Allah. Because he has no other object of desire. 
The literal meaning is that you will not become rich except for through him, and that when you have gained him, you will have become rich. Your being then is other than God, and since you cannot gain wealth except for by renouncing the other, your your eunice becomes a veil between you and wealth. And when that veil is removed, you become rich. This saying is very subtle and obscure. The opinion of advanced spiritualists, the Ahlul Haqiqah, say that it means Al-Faqru Allah Yustaghni Anhu. Poverty consists in what? And never uh, uh, being independent of poverty. This is what the Master Abdullah Ansari, Rahimahullah Tabarakwa Ta'ala, may Allah Ta'ala be well pleased with him, uh, uh, meant when he said that our sorrow is everlasting and that our aspiration never reaches its goal and that our sum never becomes non-existent in this world and the hereafter because for the fruition of anything, uh, homogeneity is necessary, but God has no congener. God has no one that can mix with him or be like him. And for turning away from him, forgetfulness is necessary, but the dervish is not forgetful. What an endless task and a difficult road. By the way, the Sheikh Abdullah uh, Al-Ansari, rahimullah ta'ala, uh, uh, this Abdullah Al-Ansari was the Sheikh of the Hanabila uh, uh, in in Afghanistan in his time. Afghanistan at one time was the markaz of the Hanbali Madhab, believe it or not. Uh, and uh, he's, he's a great Sheikh of the Tariqah. And the uh, Mulana Tamim, I believe he, he uh, explained to me that, that uh, his... Uh, uh, Zadul, uh, it's not his, uh, not Zadul, his Salikin is essentially a, 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 a commentary on a book written by this, uh, Abdullah Ansari, rahimahullah, tabarak wa ta'ala, celebrated mystic of Herat, uh, and Sheikh of the Hanabila in his time. He died in 481 after Hijra. The dead or the fani never becomes living, baqi, so as to be united with him. The living never becomes dead so as to approach his presence. All that his lovers do and suffer is entirely probation. It's all mihna. It's all difficulty and test. But in order to console themselves, they have invented some fine-sounding phraseology and pronounced quote-unquote stations and quote-unquote stages in a quote-unquote path. Their symbolic expressions, however, uh, uh, begin and end in themselves, and their stations do not rise beyond their own genus, whereas God is exempt from every human attribute and relationship. Abu Hassan Nuri rahimullah ta'ala said, Na'at al-faqiri, as-sukunu inda al-admi, wal-badlu inda al-wujud. He also said, al-ittirab inda al-wujud. When he gets nothing, he is silent, and when he gets something, he regards another person as better entitled to it than himself, and therefore gives it away. The practice enunciated in this saying is of great importance. There are two meanings. His liberality... Uh, uh, when he gets something is love because he is satisfied, uh, uh, which means accepting the robe of honor. And the robe of honor is a token of proximity where the lover rejects the robe of honor in as much as it is a token of severance. So we'll read that again. This has two meanings. His quiescence when he gets nothing is satisfaction. Rida. And his liberality when he gets something is love, mahabba. Because satisfied means accepting the robe of honor. And the robe of honor is a token of proximity, whereas uh, the lover rejects the robe of honor in as much as it is a token of severance. His quiescence when he gets nothing is expectation of getting something. And when he has got it, 
that quote-unquote something is other than God. He cannot be satisfied with other than God. Therefore, he rejects it. Both these meanings are implicit in the saying of the Grand Sheikh Abul Qasim Junaid, Rahimullah Ta'ala, Al-Faqru Khuluul Qalbi Anil Ashkal. When the heart is empty of phenomena, then the person has attained true poverty. Since the existence of phenomena is other than God, rejection is the only course that is possible. Shibli, who is uh, the, the Khalifa of Junaid, says, Al-Faqru Bahrul Bala'i wa Bala'uhu is. It says, poverty is a sea of trouble, and all troubles for Allah's sake are glorious. Shibli rahimullah ta'ala said, this is so beautiful, uh, this is such a beautiful saying. These, you know, these sayings of the mashayikh, mashallah, they're like the distillation of the experiences of the, the, the sahaba and the best part of this ummah. Shibli rahimullah ta'ala says, al-faqru bahrul bala'i wa bala'uhu kulluhu iz. Poverty is like an ocean of trouble. And all troubles for Allah Ta'ala's sake are glorious. They're honors. It's an honor. Every single trouble for the sake of Allah that you go through is an honor. Now tell me something. If every trouble you go through for the sake of Allah Ta'ala is an honor, then an ocean of trouble is what? To the imbecile, it's an ocean of trouble and difficulty. To the Ahlullah and the people of Allah Ta'ala and the people of true insight, it's an ocean of honor. It's an ocean of, of, of glory with Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And is that not what the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala went through? And is that not what every single one of the mashayikh and the, 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 the salaf al-salih and the awliya and the ulama, all of them went through this ocean of difficulty in order to be, uh, given this ocean of, 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 of honor from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The afflicted are plunged in trouble and know nothing of glory until they forget their trouble and regard the author thereof, the one who brought them those troubles. Then their trouble is changed into glory and their glory into a spiritual state and their spiritual state into love and love into contemplation so that finally the brain of the inspirement becomes wholly a center of vision through which the predominance of his imagination becomes wholly a center of vision through the predominance of his imagination. He sees without eye and hears without ear. Again, it is glorious for a man to bear the burden of trouble laid upon him by his beloved with a capital B. For in truth, misfortune is glory and prosperity is humiliation. For in truth, misfortune is glory and prosperity is humiliation. Glory is that which makes one present with Allah and humiliation is that which makes one absent with Allah. The affliction of poverty is a sign of presence while the delight of riches is a sign of absence. Let's repeat that again. He says, The glory is that which makes one present with Allah, and humiliation is that which makes one absent from Allah. The affliction of poverty is a sign of presence, while the delight of riches is a sign of absence. Therefore, one should cling to the trouble of any description that involves the contemplation and intimacy of Allah. Imam Junaid rahimullah ta'ala said, Ya ma'ashar al-fuqara, innakum tu'rafuna billahi, uh, uh, oh, you people who are poor, meaning not the, not the material poor, but spiritually poor. Oh, you, uh, oh, you wayfarers and poor ones in front of Allah. You are known through Allah and are harbor or, and are honored for the sake of Allah. You are known through Allah and honored for the sake of Allah. So take heed of how you behave when you're alone with Allah. I.e. if people call you poor and call you a faqir and call you a darvish 
and recognize your claim, see that you perform the obligations of the path of poverty. And if they give you another name inconsistent with what you profess, do not accept it, but fulfill your professions. This is very important. This is uh, uh, very important because uh, I rem- I remember, uh, you know, uh, our mashaykh in the madrasa, they were the Ahlul Haq people. They weren't people who used to pull punches or sugarcoat stuff. And so, uh, uh, one of the, uh, one of the principals of another madrasa came and visited the madrasa. And it was a very awkward, uh, scenario because out of honor, the principal of our madrasa had the principal of that madrasa give a talk. And he gave a talk about the, uh, you know, uh, virtues of poverty and bearing misfortune and about how, you know, so and so student was sick for so long and they didn't go and see a doctor and blah, blah, blah. And one of the mashaykh of our madrasa uh, got up and said, "Look at you! You just came to the madrasa in a, in a Land Cruiser. Uh, how can you how can you uh, lecture these children about the virtues of poverty when you yourself don't practice what you preach?" Uh, and, and they just handed it to him. They they really gave it to him. Why? Because there are still a people in this ummah. By the way, aside from all of the celebrity hocus pocus. Uh, uh, you know, $6,000 bands and like $100 conference tickets and all this other stuff, which is wonderful. Inshallah, whoever does it, I'm sure their niya is great and Allah ta'ala reward them for it. But there is a higher path that was chalked out for us by the Sahaba radiallahu anhum and by the awliya and the salihin and by people who are still alive to this day. Um, they took the advice of Junaid, which is what? Oh, you who aspire to spiritual poverty, you are known through Allah Ta'ala, meaning people know you and respect you because of Allah Ta'ala and their love for Allah. And you are honored for the sake of Allah. So take heed out how you behave when you're alone with Him. I.e., if people call you quote-unquote poor and recognize your claim, see that you perform the obligations of the path of poverty. And if they give you another name inconsistent with that which you profess, do not accept it, but fulfill your professions. The basest of men is he who is thought to be devoted to God, but is really not. And the noblest is he who is not thought to be devoted to God, but really is. The former resembles an ignorant physician who pretends to cure people, but only makes them worse. And when he falls ill, himself needs another physician to prescribe for him. The latter is like one who is not known to be a physician and does not uh, concern himself with other folk, but employs his skill in order to maintain his own health. One of the moderns has said, Al-Faqru Adam Bila Wujud. Poverty is not being and it has no existence. To interpret this saying is impossible because what is not, what is non-existent does not admit being explained. On the surface, it would seem that according to this dictum, poverty is nothing, but such is not the case. The explanations and consensus of the awliya of Allah uh, are not founded on a principle that is essentially non-existent. Uh, the meaning here is not the not being of essence, but the not being of that which contaminates the essence. And all human attributes are a source of contamination. When that is removed, the result is the annihilation of the attributes, fanai sifat, which deprives the sufferer of the instrument whereby he attains or fails to attain his object. But his not going to the essence, admi, ravish, uh, ba'ain, seems to him annihilation of the essence and cast him into perdition. I have met with some scholastic philosophers who, failing to understand the drift of this saying, laughed at it and declared it to be nonsense, and also with certain pretenders to Sufism who made nonsense of it and were firmly convinced of its truth, although they had no grasp of the fundamental principle. Both parties are in the wrong, 
One ignorantly denies the truth and the other makes ignorance uh, a state of perfection. Now the expression of not being or adam and annihilation, fana, as they are expressed by the Sufis, denote the disappearance of a blameworthy instrument and disapproved attribute in the course of seeking a praiseworthy attribute. They do not signify the search for non-reality uh, by meaning uh, uh, by means of an instrument that exists. Meaning what? The point of fana and adam is not that you actually disappear. The state of annihilation is not that you actually disappear and become nothing. Rather that the blameworthy part of you disappears and becomes nothing. Uh, and this is, uh, mashallah, Sheikh calling out the goofy Sufis of his time as well. Being a dervish in all of its meanings is a metaphorical poverty. And amidst all of its subordinate aspects, there is a transcendent principle. The divine mysteries come and go over the dervish so that his affairs are acquired by himself, his actions attributed to himself, and his ideas attached to himself. But when his affairs are freed from the bond of acquisition, his actions are no more attributed to himself. Then when he is the way, not the wayfarer, I the dervish is a place, uh, uh, is a place over which something is passing, not the wayfarer following his own will. Accordingly, he neither draws anything to himself nor puts anything away from himself. All that leaves any trace upon him belongs to the essence. I have seen false Sufis, mere tongsters, yani arbabul lisan, people who all they do is have fancy tongues, whose imperfect apprehension of this matter seem to deny the existence of the essence of poverty, while their lack of desire for the reality of poverty seem to deny the attributes of its essence. They called by the name of quote-unquote poverty and quote-unquote purity their failure to seek the truth and reality, and it looked as if they affirmed their own fancies but denied all else. Every one of them was in some degree veiled from poverty because of the conceit of Sufism, Pindari in Hadith betokens perfection of sainthood, uh, sorry, uh, of saintship, and the claim to be uh, suspected of Sufism uh, uh, is the ultimate goal, i.e. this claim only belongs to the state of perfection. Therefore, the seeker has no choice but to journey in their path and traverse their stations and to know their symbolic expressions in order that he may not be a plebeian and ammi amongst the elect. Those who are ignorant of general principles have no ground to stand on, whereas those who are ignorant only as regards to the derivative branches are supported by the principles. I have said all of this to encourage you to undertake the spiritual journey and occupy yourself with due fulfillment of its obligations. So he says what? He says the faker path. He says that you're going to have to pass through uh, 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 you're gonna have to pass through all of these levels that the people who are the fakers in the path, uh, uh, are stuck in. Uh, and he gives, uh, um, encouragement for people to, uh, traverse those states. Uh, whereas it's a, uh, a hallmark of the, 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 the goofs, uh, of the path, the, the goofism and the goofy Sufis to put the sheikh on a pedestal. And then tell uh, all of the disciples that this is some sort of like uh, a fairy tale storybook superhero that you're never going to get anywhere close to. So you may as well just grovel and kiss his feet. And that's the only way you're going to go to Jannah anyway. And this person is like, uh, you know, his feet don't even touch the ground. Whereas the strange thing is there are some people like that, that you'll never reach their, their, their station. But they never wanted to hold a station over another person. It's just because that's what they worked for and that's what Allah gave them. 
the hallmark of the Ahlullah is they wanted to lift up everybody else and bring them to, to a higher state, uh, rather than to keep them as some sort of serfs or menial, uh, labor in order to serve their, their tariqah or serve their, their fame or whatnot. And so he says, I've said this to encourage you to undertake the spiritual journey and occupy yourself with due fulfillment of its obligations. Now, in the subsequent chapter on Sufism, I will explain some of the principles and allegories and mystical sayings of the, uh, of the people of Sufism. Then I will mention the names uh, of their holy men and afterward elucidate on the different doctrine held by the sheikhs of the tariqah. In the next place, I will treat the verities, sciences, and laws of Sufism. Lastly, I will set forth their rules and discipline and significance of their stations in order that the truth of this matter may become clear to you uh, and to all of uh, the readers of this book. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq uh, uh, to implement uh, uh, whatever we learned and whatever you un- we understood and heard from from this chapter. Uh, again, it you know this book describes a type of practice of Islam and seriousness of Islam that unfortunately even amongst the people who claim Sufism uh, um, seem to have jettisoned a long time ago. I definitely don't uh, uh, claim in any way, shape, or form that I, I have any nasib of it. But I do find it beautiful and refreshing to read uh, the thoughts and the words and the states of mind and the states of heart uh, of, of those people of the past uh, upon whom, uh, uh, upon whose backs uh, uh, Islam was carried to us um, in order that we can at least uh, have uh, their love and maybe see something, at least a little glimmer or a peep of, of the way they used to see things and maybe be benefited from it uh, in our hearts. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give all of us so much tawfiq. Wa sallallahu ta'ala wa ta'ala wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.